I got up the next morning and the fear kind of jumped in and I wasn't really, I was thinking about going back to the UK. I was like, I'll go back to my doctor um, and I'll just check in with my GP and blah, blah, blah. And then a friend rang me and I had kind of worked myself up a little bit into, I, w- I wasn't overwhelmed by the situation, but I was overwhelmed by the decisions that I had to make and who do I tell and what do I say? And if, is anybody going to take me seriously? Uh, and the friend was the right friend to call to answer. She said, based on your age and the type of cancer it is, you can't sit around and wait. You need to call every doctor in your village and you need to find out where you can get a cancellation. And I did that. The third one answered. They said, yeah, absolutely come in. And by the time I got on a plane to go back to the UK, I had basically had it not confirmed because they'll never do that, but Mm -hmm. basically been told that we can't rule out testicular cancer and we need to move to the next stage of beginning to try and eradicate that as a thing. Mm-hmm. To which you just go, I knew it. I was right. And there's this little weird, there's this weird egotistical voice in your head that goes, you were right. Well done. Now you've got cancer. Um, it's very strange. Very strange. I went to the beach. I walked the dog. I was, I was very, it was a very outer body experience. Mm-hmm. But the look on my loved one's faces, like, so I, for, for a long time, I only had a very small circle of people. Um, and that first initial circle was my brother, his girlfriend, my mom, and my dad. The initial reaction from them was don't panic, but whilst also you can tell behind somebody's eyes that they are genuinely terrified Um, because your mortality just gets put up for auction and you're like, okay, here we go. Um, And I guess from parents, they never expect to be in that situation. Um, Yeah, it was very strange. But as a coach, if I'll move move on, that's a very long-winded story, but it's important to kind of know that it was my mindset that allowed me and throughout the whole diagnosis to be able to be able to look at it objectively. Mm-hmm. I, I worked on just getting the first appointment. And after the first appointment, I felt safe. I was in somebody's hands. Somebody was looking after me and all I needed to do was get to the scan. And then from the scan, you know, my situation was a bit complicated because then I was in the UK. So we had to change it over. And then it was just about doing that. And then as soon as you are on the list of, you're sitting in front of a consultant and he's, he, I mean, he, he's a, he's a urologist. So he knows exactly what he's talking about. And you've probably met a lot of experts in their field in the last Mm -hmm. year. He, he barely even like grazed it himself. Like he did a physical exam and he went, yep, that's a lesion. That's, that's, that's tumor like we need to do tests. We need to do this, that, and the other, we need to get you scanned. We need to like basically find out where, what it is. And if that's the only location of that thing, or if it's gone somewhere else. Um, and I just, I, I literally allowed myself to go from one appointment to the next, to the next, to the next, until the point it was going so quick that I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, and they do operate really quickly, especially mm-hmm. with cancer. They don't mess around until the point where it was like approaching the point of surgery. And I, I had a little bit of a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Was- it's, it seems like to, to me as well, like when you, you had that initial moment of finding it, you managed to have a sense of calmness about you, like you said, um, because you could control what was about to happen from that place. You had the control to phone the doctor and move forward and then it sounds like there, there was a little bit of um, confusion of the process that installed a tiny bit of fear into you because then you weren't in control of what was happening. And then as soon as you got back to the UK and you got the doctors there and, you know, and then things started to happen really quickly and you 
allowed yourself to kind of surrender yourself to the process and learn more about it and you have lots and lots more control and then it comes to that point where it's like yeah we're going to cut you open and we're going to get this out that's the scary part you know and it's it really is um terrifying you know that prospect of going into surgery and I remember myself you know I had eight surgeries in the space of 16 days seven of those I can't really remember because you know thanks to the pain team I was you know um well drugged up and and couldn't feel a lot of them but I remember a moment where the I had all this back pain and and the doctor um came and he said oh we're going to send you for an MRI all that kind of jazz and I'd already had one on my back so they'd missed this Mm. and I remember the whole process of going in. It was horrible because I was in so much pain. And then the doctor opened the blinds, the curtains, and he walked around the side of my bed and he knelt, uh, went on his knees and kind of put his arms on the side of my bed. And I was like, oh, no, because the consultants don't do that. You know, they don't show empathy in that way. And I knew in that moment that I was going to have to have surgery and that's exactly what happened. And it was that, that was the moment of fear because it's the complete unknown. You know, you can control going into a situation where you're, you know, taking medication or having meetings with consultants or whatever. But when it, it gets to that point where you have to go for surgery, that's not anything you or I know anything about. Mm. You know, we don't know what goes on in that room. You know, we've seen little bits and bobs of, you know, surgery on doctor programs and ambulance and one born every minute and all that kind of stuff. You know, we've seen what it looks like, but it's a very different experience being on that operating table. And I'm sure you can agree that was probably one of the scariest moments as well. Yeah, I I kind of was very fearful of just never waking up and leaving all these people who I'd invited into the most vulnerable time of my life to then think, what if I don't come back to show them that it's okay? And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where you allow yourself. Like, I mean, testicular cancer has a 95% survival rate. Surgery is pretty simple when it comes down to it. Like the, the, the ball is outside your body. There's very little like that can go wrong. But again, like anything, there are risks. I didn't know the process, like you said, of surgery. I didn't know what they do for you. I didn't know whether, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to be in the surgeon, in the, like the actual theater when they knocked me out or I would have to walk. I didn't know. But luckily my housemate's sister is a nurse and was an, an, let me try and get this word right, anesthetist assistant and had sat in on a testicular cancer extraction and orchidectomy. Um, so was able to go, right, this is what's going to happen from my experience. They're going to do this and walked me literally through every step of the way and was able to explain to me, you know, the white milky substance that makes you go asleep. It's not the, the, the Michael Jackson thing that killed everybody. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, what was funny was like when I did come to being in the surgeons, like in the, the room where you get anesthetized, I remember looking over and I, I, as soon as I walked in, I spotted that, that syringe 
I spotted it straight away. I was like, there it is. That's the big, that's the, the milky substance she was talking about. And as soon as I spotted that, and then they're all, they're so lovely. They make you feel so comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're very, they're very calming for people who are in an environment where they're saving people's lives. Um, it's very calming. And I just remember feeling very at ease. I, I trusted everybody. And, and it was, a, it was, everything that had been explained to me, which was nice, you know, yeah, the reality is, is when it's questioned, it's scary. Yeah. And I think I had a slightly different experience there going into my surgery because I, I didn't actually think about the, the general anesthetic and the medications that they were giving me to knock me out. That literally didn't cross my mind. And I don't think it crossed my mind because I don't know anything about it. And like, I just think about general anesthetic and I was thinking, I was like, is that the stuff that the dentist gives you? You know, when you get a tooth out and they were like, no, that's local. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've woken up from a tooth extraction before, like I'm going to be fine. And yeah, so I didn't really think about that, but now I'm thinking about it and it like fuels me with terror and I'm terrified to the prospect of possibly getting more surgery does scare me because I now know more about it. You know, and I think what's interesting is it's like, I I mean, on the flip side of mine is that I was completely well, like there was other than the fact that I knew I had a lump and we confirmed that it was, it was cancer, but they, even at that point, they can't turn around and say to you, it's like this particular cancer because they need to get it out and they don't do a, they don't do um, a biopsy on it. They just take it out. So I was very, I was a very well person. I spent the whole summer like running and yoga every day and walking twice a day. Once if a government official is listening. Um, (laughs) I'd been really looking after myself. And like I said, I was at the peak of my physical and mental fitness. I was so well. So I, I think I am credited a lot and how I managed to deal with the situation because of that. Um, and realistically coming down to the real like the bones of it was that I was in control of the things that I could control and I wasn't worrying about the things that I couldn't control Mm -hmm. it was only when I was worrying about the things I couldn't control like whether or not I would wake up that I lost my way but as soon as I realized that actually the thing I could control about that situation isn't is knowledge yeah um I always knew I'd be fine and always knew I'd be okay it's a straight, I felt the same. I absolutely felt the same. And it was almost a, a moment of um, realization again, when you just think, you know, like put yourself in a, a position mentally to, to know that you're mentally in the right place to deal with what's about to happen. Mm. And like you said there, you know, you, you felt like you were at the, a peak with your physical and mental health that summer. And it almost... I don't know if you had a moment of feeling like, oh, this is so unfair, you know, because I'm in such a, I'm in the peak of my life, you know, things are going great. This is so unfair that I'm in this position. And it's so easy to fall into that. And it was, it's easy for me now, still in this position to milk it, you know, mm-hmm. and to feel sorry for myself. And, but I just have not, it's not in me to, to do that at all. And it sounds like you, you, you hold the same values in that sense as well. I didn't so much have the, like the, the pity party that I thought I might have. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I didn't, I really didn't. What I did have, and I think we've talked about this before, is that after I got through and I was like six weeks post-surgery and I got the, I got the preliminary cancer-free diagnosis, but still pending a couple more tests. When I got that, I had this survivor's guilt mm-hmm. because I was very aware from everything that I'd gone through and everything and how, like, cause I, I put the video out there. I created a conversation around my health. Um, and I'd been very, very open about it. And in a way that was, that was kind of therapy in itself. What I felt afterwards was that there are people out there that haven't been as blessed with their journey as I have. They haven't come through the other side of their cancer diagnosis. In fact, in 2020 alone, two people that I know and I'm aware of, one was on one um, one girl who was one of my first housemates when I moved to London, Lydia, she lost her battle the second time she got um, breast cancer. And then another boss of mine who um, was my boss when I worked for Virgin, he got throat cancer and lost his battle. So in this time, I was very aware of the people that didn't survive. So I felt really stupidly guilty for my yeah. own for, for my journey being so what I, what I felt and what I believe quite straightforward. Yeah. It's very sobering, isn't it? That experience. Mm-hmm. It really is. So I, th- you know, there's a lot of, we've kind of dipped in and out of understanding the process of where we're going and what we're doing. And I think there's been moments in both of our journeys over the past year where had we known more about something it could have made the situation better. Mm. If you could go back and relearn anything to make this situation better for you, is there anything you would do? Do you know what? I don't think so. Like I looking back at it now, like, and this is, this is not, not a preempted, no regrets kind of thing. I, I, I'm, I, if I went back and I was in control of how I, was going to react and deal with. I don't think I would have done half the things that I I did. I don't think I would have been as vocal. I don't think I would have been as open to share. I think I would have been probably a little bit more private if I knew. Mm-hmm. But it was my ignorance and my um, lack of knowledge about the whole process. And still, I don't think I know everything that there is to know about. I'm still in a process of sorts. Although I'm cancer-free, I'm... I'm I'm being monitored. Um, I, and I, and I still feel like there is, there is more of the story to kind of be like uncovered, like when the fog eventually lifts. Um, and it's interesting because it's essentially been done behind closed doors. Like one of a friend of mine said, if you didn't post about it, if you didn't talk about it openly, if you didn't tell anybody, really nobody would have ever known that you'd gone through this. You could have done that. You, and, I, and I was like, actually, you're right, because realistically, we were in a lockdown. I didn't have to go out. I didn't need to be around people. So I could have easily, like, you know, gone through the whole thing, surgery and all, without ever saying a word to a single person. Not that I think, looking back, that I would have done that, but I realize now with the innocence of my experience and the way I was and the, the mindset I had, I just took it in my stride and I just... Mm-hmm. I just 
batted every ball that came my way. Hey, there's the first pun. Yes. There you go. <laughs> oh, I thought one I think that. <laughs> I know. I thought, you know, that's definitely a credit to who you are as a person. Uh, wanting to share things and wanting to give back when you're in this awful, terrible situation. And for me, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree, the perspective that trauma gives you on life is actually, you know, and it's something really special in light of all of the things that have been horrible, horrible, horrible. It gives you this incredible gift that you can give back to people in the hope that they only learn about it through your eyes and that they don't have to by fault of their own or exactly you know. and, and that's the thing is that i have completely changed how i view my coaching in a way because what i am now using is i'm using my experience and this is where my eyes have been opened because mm-hmm. that's all we can do i can only tell you something from my perspective and my experience i can i can tell it to you and you might not have ever even realized that that was how it happened from my point of view and now i use my experience in order to make other people feel that their experience is unique and they are worthy of all the attention that they get and they deserve from themselves alone mm-hmm. um so yes that 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 kind of perspective arrives having gone through this experience. It's something that's a part of you now, you know, for the rest of your life. And it's, it's an experience that you can't change, but you can change because of it. Yeah. And as a single gay man, like to be losing a member of your key anatomy. Um, and like it, it was, that was, that was quite sobering. And, and I, I kind of, mm-hmm learn to love the scar more than I learned to resent the fact that I was missing a testicle quicker. So it was was a real flip. Like I didn't focus on the fact that I had one less testicle. I focused on the fact that actually the testicle missing is told in the story of the scar. And when I can become somebody who is proud to look in the mirror and see that scar, you don't even notice that the ball is gone. Like, you know, it's not even something So I, I just, I just be, I am like, feel like a, a warrior. And I've explained this to somebody as well who'd, who'd gone through, who, who'd gone through something and they said, I've got a scar and the scar is actually something that they become proud of and they, they feel like a warrior. And, and that's where I put my energy for that. And, and that's, that feels good. And that's a way of flipping the narrative from a negative to losing something, yeah. actually gaining something. Because I know there are people who've had surgeries, um, like major surgeries, and some along the lines of what you've had, but actually their scars aren't visible on the outside. So, or a friend of mine explained it in the same way that, you know, when you go through a miscarriage, a friend of mine had a miscarriage and was like, my, I have no physical scar to show people. Yeah. The emotion that's attached to that feeling of loss. And I was like, well, there I am lucky that I have something that I can identify with and whatever energy I need to, I can put it on that and we can celebrate that scar for everything that I've been through and everything that I've survived. And mm. that's, that's something that comes and it's, it's get, I'm getting there. That'll be a work in, in process as well, I think. And it's, 
it's interesting as well that you you know you mentioned you know being part of the LGBT community and there is so much focus on body image and masculinity and being a man and all of these different things within the gay community it is horrendous you know it re- and that's a whole new conversation and we've spoke before and I you know I, I touched on this and it was it's it's how you are going into those situations, you know, being intimate and all of these different things when you have this physical change and it applies to everything. It doesn't just apply to, you know, having um, scars on your chest or only having one testicle. It can be loads and loads of different things and it demasculates you in a sense, but the way that you've described it is you know, really reassuring. And it sounds like you have prepared yourself for moments where you might feel vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. And look, I, I'm not afraid to talk about it. In fact, I am the first person to bring it up in a, in a, in a conversation. I think it's a lot to do with the fact that when I'm with other men, I'm like, well, I had testicular cancer and then we discuss it. And then I say, when's the last time you checked your testicles? And then we have the conversation, which is my general like mission in life is to get that message across that you need to check them because it can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. And the awareness you have of yeah. your body now is what will save your life later. And it's the same with your mind. The awareness you have of your mind now will save your life later. Absolutely. You're so right. And I think to so to round up our conversation, we'll we'll finish talking about your balls and uh, and direct people to going to look at your balls because you shared a video on um, Instagram, which was very brave, and I think it was such a great example of what to do. Um, but it was a great example of doing the best that you can to help other people and just talk about that process a little bit before we wrap up, you know, what went through, why, what did you think about before you put that camera on and pulled your trousers down? So, I mean, the first video that I went on and talked about my discovering of the ball, I never intended on that to be public. That, that specific video was never intended to be public. I turned on the video in order to, um, inform my large, my mum's side of the family of this big WhatsApp group. And I wanted to be the one to tell them, like rather than them hear it through like the grapevine. Um, so I recorded a video and I, and I hadn't really spoken about everything to the point where I was at, where I had all the information I knew, I knew what was going to happen. And this is where I wanted to be before I expressed it. So I wanted to be in this position where I was like, right, I found the lump. They're saying it's testicular cancer and this is what they're going to do about it. So instead of giving people a problem without a solution, I was giving them, this is what's happened. This is what it is. And this is what's going to happen. So, so you're not just scaring the shit out of people. Um, so that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to record that video. And I, 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 I sat down one evening and like, I'm not even in a great position. I, I just like literally just put it on the table, rested it up against something, put the ring light on, obviously. Uh, and, <laughs> and then and just literally started talking. And I thought I'll do a couple of these. Like I'll, I'll try and I'll say something and I'll trip up and I don't have all the information in my head. I don't know anything about this. I'm learning as I go. And I just 
was so emotionally drained by the end, by the time I finished doing it, I just sent it. And then I thought, you know what? That was so emotionally draining. I said, I'm just going to post that. I think, I think, fuck it. Let's tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a real momentary thing. So that went up and that received so much traction. I was overwhelmed with the support and with the people coming with questions and all of the men, I was just so glad all of these men came to me and had questions and weren't afraid to ask. And I I had like, like we said at the top of at the top of the conversation, just smashed the stigma of talking about it wide open and just allowed myself yeah. to be somebody that people came to for that conversation. And I was like, I'm happy if one person comes to me and says they got something checked, which happened numerous times. I think about six or seven people came to me and these are the ones that said it. They're the ones that said, you know, I found something. I wasn't sure what it was after your video. I went and got it checked out. Turns out to be actually nothing, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have checked it if it wasn't for you. So that video with its like traction that that created, I felt like the, 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 the story needed to continue and I needed to keep people informed and I wanted to keep the message going because actually it was important that people realized. And yeah. it was the first time that I ever thought to myself after making a video, people need to see this. Because if you say that about something entertaining or something like a, like a TikTok that you make, it's really egotistical. But in that moment, I was like, no, everybody, everybody needs to see this video. So... I then got to the week before my surgery and I thought I'm going to update people. I got to the week before my surgery and I was, I'm, I was like, I'm going to give people, I'd already done like a live and answered some questions. And I was like, right, I'm going to give people another update. And I thought I'm going to just, I, I, how do you show people how to feel for a lump on their testicle without showing them a testicle? It's, mm-hmm. and why can't I just show you it? Like the thing is going to be gone next week. It's like creating a museum for the left testicle. <laughs> um, so I, I just sat there and I thought, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to record it. If it's a bit crass, then I'll just cut it out and I'll, you know, I'll, do something else or I won't post it, whatever. But at least I have this explanation that if somebody else comes to me, like I'm having a discussion with uh, like a man about uh, like, a, you know, at an, an event in the future and they say, how do you do it? I go, well, I've actually got a video of me demonstrating on my testicle, the one that actually has a lump. Do you want it? I can share it with you. Hmm. So that was my mentality. If, if, if it doesn't go online, it, I'll always have it because I can only yeah. do this demonstration once I can only do it now um, because next week I'll just be showing you like a, an empty sack no. yeah. and that process probably that probably yeah that yeah. process probably really helped you as well you know just doing that for yourself without the intention of sharing it or you know sending it to people that process of doing something for yourself yeah. that is informative that is part of the, an education process you know, it's, it's really important, I think. Yeah. I, I also was like the people, the people I was seeing at the time, like in my family and stuff. And, and I, I remember saying to my brother and my dad, the day I found the lump, do you want to feel it? And I, I wish now based on our following conversations after it was gone, I wish I'd actually made them do it because yeah. afterwards they were so curious. And I was like, but in the moment, I would, I, in the moment in my family where I felt safe, I was like, feel it, 
like you feel it, like the doctor down the roads felt it like, you know, it's, so, and I'd done that with a number of people. I, <laughs> not a lot of people, by the way, I don't want to sound like I've been, I was going around the streets, taking my ball out and getting people to feel it. <laughs> feel Although, my balls, feel my balls. My ball. It's going to be gone next week. I'll be in the bin. Um, but yeah, I like, I wanted to be able to give somebody the experience of knowing what you look for when you're looking mm-hmm. at your body and being able to see what a real pair of men's testicles look like um, before they're decimated beyond their original. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I shared the video and, I, and it was an instantly flagged for nudity. Um, and taken off Facebook, but it remains in Instagram living under the algorithm and hasn't actually been. So I actually do have, like I've said to you, I've said it's there. You probably missed it because everybody sees the video that has the most views. Yeah. yeah. But you have to go and search it. it. It's, it's there. Like there's I'll a post all the, all my, the links to your balls. Yeah. The link to my balls. Um, yeah, it's, it's there if you want to find it under my journey. It's funny that you, you said that you wanted to share that with people because I remember I went for a walk with one of my friends. This must have been about two years ago. And she said to me, she asked me a question about my balls. And I was just like, I can't remember what the question was. And she said that her her partner had raised concerns about something with his balls. And, and she was like, can I look at yours? <laughs> right. And, and we're walking down the, like the beach. It's inappropriate. Yeah. It's inappropriate. And she's like, no, I really want to see it because I want to know if like, it's normal what his balls are. And I was like, okay, sure. Terrified that her humongous dog was going to like come over and bite my balls. I'm on the <laughs> beach. Like no one's there. Obviously I'm not like, exposing myself in front of people but I just kind of like you know pulled my balls out and I was like here here's my balls I hope they look like (laughs) this is what they look like I hope this has helped you get the answers that you need (laughs) I hope you're happy um and yeah let's keep walking you know but it's I've never really thought about it but it's that was probably from fear as well and trying to educate herself and figure out what's going on and I'm glad I did that because I probably um created uh some comfort I don't know yeah well actually you know a credit to your relationship and a credit to her for actually going, you know what, rather than just Googling the hell out of like everything to do with testicles and hoping to gain some information on what my husband's testicles or boyfriend's testicles are looking like at the moment, I'll just ask somebody who I believe has another set of testicles and I'll be able to then be able to confer. um, What's the word? Compare. Compare compare what they look like uh, mm-hmm. and yeah I, I, I think that's okay yeah I think we need to do Ask more of that next time you... maybe to like invite you around for like wine or something like, like while you're walking yeah down it's a cold day <laughs> yeah can I do it in your house like when your massive dog isn't there yeah and it's a bit warmer and uh and I, yeah. I don't have to explain myself <laughs> <laughs> uh, she wasn't disappointed <laughs> <laughs> it was a line in the sand and it was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just to wrap up you know when I was thinking about doing this podcast and it was it's really kind of been born in light of my own experiences in the past year and figuring out 
my new path in life and um, wanting to share all these amazing conversations that I'm having with people like yourself in private and knowing how powerful that is to share with the world and you know there really is power in sharing so and I was thinking about the name for the podcast and I had a lot of crazy crazy names that I won't share but maybe I'll share one day but some of them are absolutely nuts um so I settled on headphones in (laughs) so I settled on and headphones in because I wanted it to be a moment where the listener has to put their headphones in and they have no responsibility for having a conversation with people and they can take a moment for themselves to grow to learn to find some comfort to find some peace in their life and and learn from from you know really incredible people so my question is if you could offer a piece of advice aside from listening to my podcast that um, creates a space or what do you do yourself that creates a space that allows you to feel a sense of calmness and um, comfort and helps you learn and grow and, you know, is, is like a big warm hug. Based on what you've said, like about like listening to conversations has definitely been something that I find a lot of stillness in. And I think we talked about this before that it's actually an opportunity to just listen. And so many times and too often we're in social circumstances where we are not really listening to understand or listening to reply. And what coaching has taught me and what the last year of this opportunity to spend hours on your own and find yourself in those moments in the day, I realized that actually just walking and maybe listening to podcasts, maybe listening to an audiobook, maybe just listening to the thoughts in your own head. Mm-hmm. I've been in so many circumstances where I've been a little bit in a funk, not really sure, a little bit uneasy, like trying to start up a business and not knowing where to start. And and the the activity of just going out and doing a six kilometer, five kilometer loop with no real urgency and listening to other people talking, listening to my thoughts, how much that has allowed me to unravel the thoughts in my head and gain clarity is, is, wow, it's valuable. It's extremely valuable. Um, so I, you know, to, to give someone advice, I would be, listen to yourself and be aware of, of, of the thoughts inside your own head because they are important and you do have something to say. Your message is important. You are important and your story is important and speak about it if you can and find the right people that are going to listen to you, not try and shove their advice down your throat. Because like I said, we spend way too much time listening to respond and not listening to really understand what somebody's going through. So my advice, if I was to give anything, is to just listen with intent to whoever has come to you with their story because they've come and chose you for a reason. Mm -hmm. And find a space 
that allows you to value yourself and value the process mm-hmm. that you're in. And, Be grateful as well. Like I, mm-hmm. I've been diarying for about three years now and it's not, it's nothing special. Nobody's ever going to read it. It's unapologetically your mind blurb at the end of the day. In the beginning, I used to just call it my daily download. I'd be like all this noise in my head, just go on paper. And then once you've offloaded, just go, well, what's happened today that you're actually really grateful for? It can be so simple as a cup of tea in your hand, the roof over your head, the bed that you have, like expressing that gratitude about the things that you do have. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And like we were talking about at the top of the conversation is the magic and the law of attraction. And it's all there. Stop pining over what you don't have and be grateful for what you do have. And you'll be surprised how quickly the things you want and you hope for come to you in abundance. Yeah, I agree. It's so nice to have that, um, to hear it from, from somebody else as well. You know, it's comforting to have that reassurance that uh, you can get through anything if you, but you have to work at, at it to get through it. You know, you can't just be expected to get through some horrible traumatic things in your life by chance, you know, and, you know, I think it's a great, you set a great example, you know, and you share a lot with, with other people. And I know that, you know, people listening will definitely have, a sense of comfort and be inspired by your, your journey as well. Well, I'm just going to keep banging the drum with the message and, and just hope that it reaches the people it needs to reach. And that's all we can do. And, yeah. and like you said, like it is, it is comforting to know that other people believe that because realistically we all do deep down and, mm surround yourself with the right people and you'll be the right person or the person you want to be. Yeah. I think as well to, to close the, the message that I've got from what you've said today is, you know, do your best, but do more if you can. And to, to realize that whatever you've done to get to where you are now, you just have to do that again. Mm in order to get through the next thing that comes and you can apply those things to each of these situations and it will be seamless when you look back at it in reflection but it will have its ups and downs but to remain um to remain aware of the moments that give you peace yeah be well be focused on the actual goal where you're getting where you're going. I rem- you know, if I draw a comparison to, you know, just do your best with what you've got in the moment. Sometimes yeah. your best will be that you've managed to get out of the bed, you've managed to feed yourself and you've managed to wash yourself. In these days, and you know well, sometimes your best is just that. And that yeah. is all you're capable of in that day. Sometimes your best is the day you run a marathon. Sometimes your best is the day that you manage to help change somebody else's life. Sometimes your best is so much greater than you could have ever imagined. But just put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Eventually, with the right consistency and the right ambition, you'll get where you want to go. But be patient with yourself, but just keep moving. Don't stop. Yeah. Keep moving. And celebrate 
the small things. Oh, yes. You know, even if they're tiny or insignificant to your day, just celebrate the, the tiny, tiny little things because that's going to help you get through. And I hope people are celebrating you and your story. And uh, thanks for, for doing this. We could Thank chat you. all day. I know. We could be here all evening and then it would be like way too long for people to listen to. <laughs> yeah. The feature Somebody's left, left walking around the block willing this podcast <laughs> to finish so they can go home. Yeah. They're like, I've just run two marathons listening to these guys talk about their balls. <laughs> hey, good thanks, David. Thanks, David.